Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're grateful for your word, grateful to sit before you with it, to hear it, to seek it. In your son's name, amen. Um, a few months ago, and I don't quite remember when, Roy had the scripture reading, and uh, Roy read out of this passage. And it's one of those situations where someone reads a passage, you've read Nehemiah, you know you've read Nehemiah, you just don't recall this passage. This particular thing, when it's shown in its own standing. And so it sat on me, this, uh, this passage in Nehemiah sat on me for the intervening months since he read it. I kept thinking about it, looking at it. Well, you know, God, you better get it off your chest. You better go preach about it. And I had, it was sort of one of those sermons that it's such a good passage, it writes itself. You, know, you don't have to do anything. You just sort of stand back and let the scriptures go. For those of you who have not read Nehemiah, it's in the Old Testament. I'll narrow it down for you. Um, Nehemiah is one of the last, historically last, books of the Old Testament written, though it is back in the you know, middle of the Old Testament. Um, Nehemiah is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes of Persia. I've given you the king list of Persia here in your sermon notes. Thank you very much. It'll be on the test. <laughs> it's one of those things you should have memorized. You don't have to memorize Achaemenes through Cambyses the first. Skip over that. But you start with Cyrus the second, and they'll say, well, why? Mr. Wilson, why should I remember? Because Isaiah the prophet says that I, Cyrus the second was the Messiah. That's why. You say, well, hold it. I've been told this church is a cult. No, he calls, he calls Cyrus II the Messiah, the anointed one of God, who sets the people of Israel free from Babylon to go back to Jerusalem. That's in the book of Isaiah. He's named by name 150 years before he was born. It's a remarkable thing, and hence you should know Cyrus II. And he is the first great king of the Medo-Persian Empire. Uh, the predecessors were just the preceding Persian kings while the Medes were in dominance. But then you have Cambyses II, who was a bastard and uh, crazy. And so he died. And a relative named uh, Darius I, who was actually not called Darius I, he was called Darius, who is the guy who fought against the Greeks at the plain of Marathon, where you get the Marathon. He lost. His son, Xerxes, was the one who fought against the Greeks in the Persian War where Salamis, the 300, a bunch of other things happened. He lost against the Greeks. He's also the king that married Esther. So he's Bible, and he is classical antiquity. He's called Ahasuerus in your Bibles, sometimes Xerxes. His son, Artaxerxes I, Now, this is why I have this here, because we're pre preaching out of Nehemiah. It tells you that Nehemiah is cupbearer to King Artaxerxes, but in the Bible it doesn't say which Artaxerxes. And there's three of them. 
first, second, and third. And so where do you put the book of Nehemiah? I have put the book of Nehemiah between 384 B.C. and 372 B.C. That's 12 years because Nehemiah says that he served in Judah as emissary of Artaxerxes between the 20th year of Artaxerxes and the, what would be the 32nd year of Artaxerxes. 12 years he served in Judah. <clears throat> now we just have to figure out which Artaxerxes. Now, you say, there's going to be, I don't remember this from Roy's reading. Uh, yeah, because that's not the spiritual point. I want to give you a little bit of background because um, some people go, I like it when you say small historical things. Okay, this is a small historical thing. You get to keep your king list of Persia, too, which is cool. Um, what this does is it puts Nehemiah, just for your context, between 384 and 372 B.C., Alexander was born in 356. Okay? So Alexander the Great is born, what? 25 years after Nehemiah is done with his service in Judah. Xenophon, those of you who know those sorts of names, Xenophon wrote the Anabasis. And the Anabasis is the March of the 10,000. It was when Xenophon and a bunch of Spartans went, 10,000 Spartans went to serve Cyrus the Younger in a rebellion against his brother, Artaxerxes II, who was a really nice guy, but still won the battle against Cyrus II, Cyrus the Younger, and Cyrus the Younger, being killed, left all these Spartan mercenaries in Persia, you might say not on friendly ground. The 10,000 marched their way out of Persia, remarkable journey, killing Persians as they go, and they make it all the way back to Greece, Xenophon being one of the petty officers that leaves them, a lower-ranking officer, and he comes back alive, and he writes the story of the March of the 10,000. Great moment. Well, this happens during Nehemiah's life. This happens while Nehemiah is still back home or with Artaxerxes in the first 20 years of Xerxes' reign. So a lot of big stuff is happening right on the cusp of this moment in history. It matches up with what we know about Artaxerxes. He's a, just a, he's a nice Persian guy. Long reign. The reason I say it is Artaxerxes II is not because I like it to be closer to Alexander and Xenophon, but because in Ezra, Ezra and Nehemiah function at the same time in Judah. In the book of Ezra, if you have a Bible, fourth chapter, it tells you uh, we're going to build this. Uh, when they come back from under Cyrus's edict, Cyrus, the king of Persia, has commanded us in verse 3 of chapter 4. And it says, The people of the land discouraged the people of Judah and made them afraid to build and hired counselors against them to frustrate their purpose all the days of Cyrus, king of Persia, until the reign of Darius, king of Persia. And in the reign of Ahasuerus, so it just went, Cyrus skips over Cambyses, Darius, and in the reign of Ahasuerus, which is Xerxes, in the beginning of his reign, they wrote an accusation against the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem. Verse 7, and in the days of Artaxerxes, and it marches on, it goes, Cyrus, Darius, Xerxes, Artaxerxes, 
The people write a letter to the king and say, hey, you've got to stop these Jews from building the city. And he stops them. And at the end of chapter 4, it says, Then when the copy of King Artaxerxes' letter was read before Rehum and Shimshai the scribe and their associates, they went in haste to the Jews at Jerusalem and by force and power made them cease. Then the work on the house of God, which is in Jerusalem, stopped, and it ceased until the second year of the reign of Darius, king of Persia. So a letter to Artaxerxes made them stop until the reign of Darius. Anybody could do that math. Most people think it was rebuilt during the reign of Darius I. There is no Artaxerxes before Darius I. So if they stopped them during the reign of Artaxerxes, and they didn't finish until the reign of Darius, it has to be at least Darius II. Okay? And in... The reign of Darius, he gives them permission to start building again. This is Darius II. You see him halfway down the list. Darius II, Nothus, 423 to 404 BC. He gives them permission to go on ahead. And the temple is finished during his reign. Chapter 7 of Ezra says in the first verse, Now after this, after this, in the reign of Artaxerxes, king of Persia. Okay, so you had an Artaxerxes, and you had a Darius. The temple's finished during the reign of that Darius. And then after that, another Artaxerxes, and that's when Ezra and Nehemiah are functioning. So it has to be Artaxerxes II. You could disagree. Various books, my footnotes, my Bible disagree. But you could take a look at, uh, at the passages yourself. So that's why I'm giving you the dates, 384, because Nehemiah comes to Jerusalem in the 20th year of Artaxerxes. And that's his 20th year, all the way through for 12 years to 372. Now, as I put it in my notes on the left-hand side, whatever. Most of you can just go, I'm, I got stuff I study in my major. I don't need some old history major giving me all of his old notes. This is what you got, because I have these things on my computer. I just went and grabbed the king list of Persia, slapped it in there. Because I wrote a textbook on this stuff. That's where I got it. Nehemiah 8. And all the people gathered as one man into the square before the water gate. They've been working on the walls of Nehemiah. The water gate is... Uh, on the east side of the city in Nehemiah's time, and it's up against the old city of David. So that portion that you call Zion is the old city of Jebus, and uh, on the eastern side, south of the temple. Not, it's not a temple gate. It's a city of David gate. Not that it's that important. And they told Ezra the scribe to bring the book of the law of Moses, which the Lord had given to Israel. And Ezra... The priest brought the law before the assembly, both men and women, and all who could hear with understanding on the first day of the seventh month. And he read from it, facing the square before the water gate from early morning until midday, in the presence of the men and women and those who could understand. And the ears of all the people were attentive to the book of the law. And Ezra the scribe stood on a wooden pulpit which had been made for the purpose, and beside him stood Matthiah, Mattathiah, Shema, 
Ananiah, Uriah, Hilkiah, and this is a tough one, Maaseiah on his right hand, and Padiah, Mishael, Malkijah, Hashum, and a good one, Hashbandana. You can name one of your kids that. Hashbandana, Zechariah, Meshulam on his left hand. It is far better that you memorize the kings of Persia than you memorize those names. I know they're more Bible and Jewish names, but the kings of Persia count. They're kings. And Ezra opened the book in the sight of all the peoples, for he was above all the people. And when he opened it, all the people stood. And Ezra blessed the Lord, the great God. And all the people answered, Amen. Amen. Lifting up their hands, and they bowed their heads and worshipped the Lord with their faces to the ground. Also Heshua, Bani, Sherebiah, Jamin, Akub, Shabbathai, Hodiah, Messiah, Kalita, Azariah, Josabad, Hanan, Palilah, and the Levites helped the people to understand the law while the people remained in their places. And they read from the book, from the law of God clearly, and they gave the sense so that the people understood the reading. Now, what was charming about it when I first remember hearing when Roy read it was the, uh, the nature of the structure of the thing. You not only had, like we have on a Sunday morning, you have someone reading the scriptures. And then we have somebody preaching a sermon of understanding of the scriptures. Some people say, why don't we just read the Bible? Well, that's what Ezra was doing. He was just reading the Bible to them. And then that list of guys were out there in the crowd explaining. Because it wasn't important so much that you heard the Bible read, but that you understand the Bible read. Now, I want you to look back at that, because one of the bigger temptations you might feel, any of us might feel, is it gives you some information about stuff you could do in church. I mean, it even mentions a pulpit, which is cool, because I got one. Now, why do you have a pulpit? Why is it lifted up hip here? Well, because if I were down on the level, I wouldn't be above you all. You say, well, wouldn't that be good? Well, you couldn't see. And maybe you might not be able to hear. And if, you know, maybe you're diminutive and you, you, you're doing a Zacchaeus in the back. They built this pulpit so he could see. So he could say, yeah, when we build churches, we're going to put pulpits in them because it's Bible. There are some people who have what is called the regulative principle. Okay? The regulative principle suggests that which is not specifically enjoined in the scripture and may commended to you to do is forbidden. But now we got pulpits mentioned, I can have one. I can have two. Some people look at this, I, I'm not familiar with this culture. LARPers? Uh, uh, live action role players? I hope none of you are, but if you are, shoot yourself. Well, no, actually, they, it, with it, when it's uh, Lord of the Rings, it's all right. When it's Bible, it's offensive. Okay? When you have this much detail about the physical movements of the people, it tells you that they lifted up their hands, 
bowed their heads. Okay, let me look. Don't get your eye off the text. Lift up hands, bowed heads, and faces to the ground. Okay. Does that mean on your knees like a Muslim? That kind of face to the ground? That's a little hard to have hands up, face to the ground. But maybe they all were just, you know, get the, you know, maybe a photo. I could do a little diagram, and all of us could stand at the right moment. When he opened it, all the people stood. How about that? You could be watching. You're, you're fellowshipping out there. Evan comes up to the pulpit. His Bible is closed. Even though he's not preaching out of the text. Just go, boom, and everybody stands up. Boom. Cool. I feel religious already. And so that, what do they do? And, and then I would pray, right? He blessed the Lord, the great God. And all of you would say, amen, amen. Not one amen, because the piker churches out there say one amen. We've got two. And we got, the, we got the posture down. We're live action role playing religion. We want to look just like religious people. And we got a great description of people who really seem to care. Let's pretend to be Aragorn. I mean, Nehemiah. You're a dork either way. Because you know the friend of yours who might really enjoy and be in a hobby circumstance being Boromir or Aragorn. Um, he knows he's not. You know, he knows he wishes he were. And so for a few brief moments, with his foam sword, he has mighty battles. We don't want that kind of church. We don't want play religion. We don't want people finding what the picture looked like and designing their service to look that way. Oh, no doubt. It's not that people aren't saying, let's have play religion. They think this is what they're really doing. This is what, uh, what's really going on. And they don't know there's anything else. But I want you to look at this passage for what's really going on. All the people gathered. Verse 1. It doesn't even say they were called. Previous chapter doesn't even say, hey, everybody gather. And all the people gathered as one man. Now look at what this gathering is moved by. That tells you, they said, they told Ezra to bring the book of the law. They gathered, nobody sponsored it, nobody said to. They had a purpose, get Ezra to bring the book of the law. And look at what the crowd looks like. It's not some religious organizational meeting. It's men, it's women, as young as understanding can reach. Said men and women, and all who could hear with understanding. So anybody who knew what was going on in the world around them and could comprehend was there, was possessed to be there. And when it says all who could hear with understanding, it lets you know that all of that tracks together. They're all moving. They're standing around. It's not a lot of people because the return from uh, uh, Babylon didn't bring that many people. And it's been some years since they came back. 
but it's a, it's a small population. So it's not, a, it's not a boatload. These are people that had to, uh, when they were building the wall, they had to use their trowel with one hand and hold a sword in the other because they had to be ready to fight while they were laying bread. You didn't have that many people. But, who knows, a few thousand? But they were motivated to be there because they wanted the law, all of them. All of them who could understand. Men, women, and anybody of age that had their brains working. Now, That's a, you could either, if you're doing the LARPing religion, we're going to role play Christianity. We would make everybody who we thought, well, you're now of, well, I think you're 13, and we consider that in our doctrine, the age of accountability, and so now you are, with understanding, you have to go to church meetings. You can't go off to be with the youth in the children's church no more. We can come up with rules that reflect this image. We want to be the kind of people that are this thing that people want to imitate. We don't want to imitate the thing. We don't want to mimic. Let's look like the people of Israel. Let's be the kind of people, even if you're the only person, far better for you to be the kind of people who come together and everybody who wants to know, men, women, and anyone with understanding, asks for the scriptures to be read to them. That's why they came. Most ministries spend your time, and you know, I'm in the ministry here. I think I can speak from experience. I'm trying to figure, trying to figure out how to get people to care about the word of God, about the Christian life, and to some degree, you know, some degree, you, you can act, occupy yourself with things that, that are trying to inspire people to have open eyes. But in many ways, God working in people is God working in people. And when people say, I am seeking God, they, if you're someone who is ready, like Ezra was, like Nehemiah was, like the Levites were, to give them the law, it doesn't take much for the searcher to raise his hand and go, uh, could you read me the scriptures, could you? Just read me the scriptures. And it says, in verse 8, that red verse halfway down, and they read from the book and from the law, from the law of God clearly. I like that word being in there. It wasn't kept in the 1600s. You might like the 1600s English because it sounds so holy. Well, if you're role-playing, it's great to have your words sound holy, even though you don't understand a thing that was read. But these people came to understand. Everybody in the crowd was there because they wanted to understand. And so much so that not only was it expected that it be read clearly, that's why you try to have a translation that reaches your vocabulary, reaches your comprehension level. Be thankful for them if, if you're a junior high and it's at your level, the NIV. Or you like more beauty and so you get the, the English standard or the revised standard. 
or you're really gifted at 1611 English, so you get the King James. Whatever it is you, you like, but it's understanding, not performance. Clarity. They read the book of the law with clarity and they gave the sense so that the people would understand the reading because the magic didn't fall on your ears by having Bible verses come into one. Because it's not, and too many people think, begin to think that the collection of books and verses and words is the holy thing, just like they think the procedure is holy. They stop thinking that it, no, 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 no. The meaning, knowing what it means, is the thing. The authority of the Bible is the path to you trusting the meaning, but it didn't turn it into a magic book. Nor did the services become magic. Whenever you can, whatever church you are in, not with any meanness, make sure you don't let your children get caught up in play religion. You're going to have some form of religion. We have a form here, you know, we have the scripture reading at a certain point. And you could call it a liturgy, I guess, really low, but it's just a liturgy. So, and 300 years from now, if we still exist, it might be really reverenced. But make sure that your religion, first, foremost, is the thing, not the picture of the thing. It was clear. And it says... Back in verse, oh, looks like verse 3, into verse 3. And the ears of all the people were attentive. They wanted it. This is what they wanted. It was given to them clearly. It was given to them with explanation. And they attended to it. They listened. Aggressively. That's what attention is, right? Have you ever sat in church and not attended? You say, well, they just sort of count the heads and put it up there. In attendance this week. You know, wouldn't it be great if they had that? I grew up in a Baptist church, but they had a little sign of guilt. It was what, what's a song sung. These are the songs you sing. Last week's attendance. They should put up there, actual, actually attending. There's in attendance, 400. Attending to. <laughs> You know what it's like, you know, when I bore the heck out of you. When all that Persian monarch stuff going by, oh, dear Lord, how long? And he never lets the sermon get shorter, so I know I can doze at least until 25 after. These people were attentive. They wanted to understand. They did everything to provide themselves to that understanding. The people who were going to give them understanding provided their end of it. They read the scriptures, Ezra read the book of the law, and the Levites explained it to them. Gave them the sense. Have you done everything that understanding needs? You're on, you're on one of two sides of this equation. You're either trying to understand, or you're trying to give understanding. Are you doing everything? They seem to be, all of a sudden, all the people of Judah 
show up in the square inside the water gate and say, read the Bible to us. We want to hear the Bible. And he starts to read the Bible and the guys start to explain the Bible to everybody in the crowd. This is what's going on here. And they listen very aggressively. They attend to what is being said, all the way down to young people who are more mature than their age, perhaps. But anyone who had understanding could hear that way. They were wanting and they were giving. That's what you're about. They were wanting understanding. They weren't wanting a performance. Teach us how to dress like Bedouins and and bow appropriately. Remember when I was in history, and this is not another king list. The the kowtow, you've heard of being kowtowing to someone. The kowtow is a formal thing. It's the nine obeisances and the twelve prostrations. It's how you bow to a oriental monarch. You make nine obeisances, and I don't know what's entailed in that, and then twelve prostrations on your way to the throne of the, the emperor of China. That's what you had to do. Basically, lick the marble between the door and the throne. That's what they expected. Oh, we could, we could create a really biblical system. What angle of attack your shoulders have to be at? How high the hands? That's real. When really, when real religion is happening in you, you're standing before understanding. When real religion is happening for you, you are delivering understanding. In Nehemiah, verse 9, who was the governor? And Ezra, the priest and scribe, and the Levites who taught the people, said to all the people, this day is holy to the Lord your God. They recognize, you might say, this is a vortex of how it ought to be. This has an oughtness to it. For all the times the Israelites said, yeah, we're going to follow him. Yeah, we commit to, you know, we're on God's side. We're going to give up our old gods. And Joshua keeps saying, no, you're not. Nehemiah goes, these people, this is a holy moment. When you have this meeting, you ever like somebody, you know, liked, liked? You meet this. It's more, I think it's more effective on guys. You know, kind of like this girl, and she's um, fine. And then you find out she likes you. Oh my gosh. Your day is made. Maybe the rest of your life. That's what it's like here for Nehemiah. Both sides of understanding are on board with the way it ought to be. And so he says, this day is holy. Do not mourn or weep because for all the people wept when they heard the words of the law. That's the problem with understanding this stuff. It's uh, disturbing. Holiness is disturbing to your life. You step further into the Christian life and know more about it. It starts to be worrisome. You start to undo. I saw this, uh, I don't know if it's true, you know, YouTube video. 
somebody about voter fraud. I don't care what you think about voter fraud. But they were doing a test on Diebold voter machines with a bunch of poll workers from a certain county. And they ran votes through it that they all knew what, how many yes and how many no votes went through it, and it came out a different number. The computer put out a different number of yes and no votes just on a test vote. One, one of the poll workers was in tears because everything she believed sacred about the system. I don't care what you think about, you know, whether or not people are trumping up these charges, no pun, uh, of, of voter fraud or not. But I want to give an illustration. When you care about the sanctity of democracy, when you care about the sanctity of something and you find out the truth, when you are given sudden illumination, understanding, and it doesn't look good, that could be a sad, convicting moment. And they're in tears, which I believe in the Middle East is loud. You know, there's a lot of the weeping, screaming, screeching. The people wept when they heard the words of the law. He says, do not mourn or weep. And he said to them, verse 10, go your way, eat the fat, that means bacon. And drink sweet wine. This is getting better. And send portions to him for whom nothing is prepared. It's like Thanksgiving. For this day is holy to our Lord. And do not be grieved. For the joy of the Lord is your strength. Do you realize the joy, apart from the content of what we seek understanding, and we learn more about what God is like, and more about what we're like, and more about what mankind is like, and the state of the earth, and it starts to just tune with much knowledge, much vexation, if not grief. But when you point yourself to the understanding, this is this understanding moment that people sought God, and people were there to tell them of God. We're 2,000 years into the faith. It's not been a good run. Christians, or people who claim to be Christians, have done awful things to others. I trust you're not one of them. And you have friends who know Jesus Christ. And you have people in your life that you get to teach or that you get taught by. And these moments where understanding comes to pass, this is a holy moment when it's shared. It's not when it's the church trying to shove its doctrine down your throat and your kids' throats. It's when your kids went to church because they want to know. And they get told things that they are then encouraged to understand, not just chant back. They're not chanting it. They're understanding it. And you have someone explaining it to them until they can understand it. Don't be grieved because this is a holy moment of joy. The content may trip you up or may, may, may cause you to be, you have a dark foreboding sense about it, but the fact is in that foreboding sense you have understanding. So the Levites stilled all the people saying, be quiet, for this day is holy, do not be grieved. And all the people went their way to eat and drink and to send portions and to make great rejoicing because 
they had understood the words that were declared to them. When you finally get it, when you finally understand the grace of God in Christ, when you finally understand what the, the meaning of Galatians is, when you finally understand it, what Romans is teaching, there is great joy. And our joy, what does it say? Is our strength. There's great rejoicing in understanding, and this joy is your strength. Have you even bothered with the emotional reaction that is present in understanding? Because it's, you know, I think that you can have emotions that are opposite, that are at the same time. That when your mom dies and you're sorrowing, which you should be, you can also be rejoicing in the Lord because God is still God, your name is still written in heaven. And probably when my mother died uh, six years ago or so, um, she went to be with the Lord. That's a, uh, you can have odd emotions at the same time. Same is true with this. You can understand dark things, sublime things, disturbing things. And the joy of understanding it is right there with the disturbing quality of what it is. It's a satisfaction of knowing and a fear about what you know. Now, the Jews here, I get the rest of this passage here from 13 to the end of the chapter. On the, that's all happened on the first day. Okay? The first day, they get together, and in the morning, Ezra reads of the law. It seems in the afternoon, the Levites explain the law. They all go home, rejoicing, having a party, because this is great. We understand what's going down. On the second day, the heads of fathers' houses, different crowd, of all the people with the priests and the Levites, came together to Ezra the scribe in order to study the words of the law. Everyone doesn't have to step into this as if they're going to seminary. All the Christians getting the same degree of education. Now, Everyone needs to know and understand and pursue that which is before them. And then as that has effect, those in charge, like fathers, go on to study more. And they find out from the book of the law that this is the time of the Feast of Tabernacles. And so they go, what have we been doing? It says here in the passage, down in verse... uh, 17, and all the assembly of those who had returned from the captivity made booths and dwelt in the booths. For from the days of Yeshua, son of Nun, that's Joshua, to the day the people of Israel had, to that day the people of Israel had not done so. They had not celebrated the Feast of Tabernacles since Joshua. That was 1400. This is about, well, I just gave you the date here. Mid-300s. Almost a thousand years. 900 years. And this is not to encourage you to go out to the woods and cut some boughs and make a booth on your roof or your yard and dwell in it for a week. Because 
were not here to play their religion. They were there to do what they discovered. You are here to do what you discover in the Word of God. You see somebody else doing something, you don't make a performance out of the image you see, out of the narrative that is shared. Because in the New Testament, you're told that these sorts of festivals, these new moons, these Sabbaths, are not for Christians. We're supposed to be past that. The substance in Christ is where we're supposed to be. But it all comes from you getting up and going to look. Going to look for someone who's going to read to you the Word of God, and then someone who's going to tell you what the Word of God means. And day to day, verse 18, from the first day to the last day, he read from the book of the law of God. They kept the feast seven days, and on the eighth day there was a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Don't get caught up in that last phrase. That you're going to put on a solemn assembly according to the ordinance. Because it's not what we look like we're doing. When you play something, you're just really... I haven't been to a Comic-Con. I don't think my physique matches anybody's in comic book world without some major invasive surgery. I'm impressed with what people can do. Just some photos that come out of those sorts of things. Wow, this guy's making this out of cardboard? At home? Some people are professional Comic-Con attenders. They dress up like superheroes. I worry sometimes they think they are the superhero. At least for a brief moment. It's not what we look like, obviously. It's a great art thing. It's a great art piece to do. Nice graphics. It's not what we look like. But another thing is, as they went on to study back in verse 13, study the words of the law. Some of us, because we're above just performance, theater, where you get together in church and you act like church. Oh, we're a serious church. We're getting together and we're pretending to study. We'll have Sunday school and we'll have adult Bible classes and we'll have the Deeper Walk Club and we'll have whatever it is, whatever it's going to take so that people can study stuff. It's subtle. You'll study stuff because you want to understand. If you study stuff to be studying stuff, just like you don't pray to be praying. Don't read your Bible to have read your Bible. You read your Bible so that you'll know what God said. You pray so you can make a request of God. You study so you can understand. If you don't want to understand, don't study. If you don't want to know what God has said in the Bible, I keep dropping this pen. If you don't want to understand what God is saying in the Bible, don't read the Bible. Looking like you're studying or even studying stuff isn't going to do you any good. We want to know and we want to believe what we know. Let's thank God. Dear Lord, we're very grateful. You're very kind to us. Thank you for this moment, this holy moment in Nehemiah where the saints gathered together to know and you provided those who would lead them into that knowledge. 
and it was a time of rejoicing that they understood. Correct us in your son's name. Amen.